welcome to the Believing Art Podcast. I'm Seth Brown. I'm Charles Ricks. And we are extremely excited about this episode. Yeah, we're going to do Samson and Delilah. That's right. Anthony Van Dyke, Samson and Delilah. Charles and I just had dinner before this and we discussed in private all the wonderful things we're going to say. That's right. And I wish, if- I wish we would have brought the, the, the mic to the dinner because... I don't know if I'll be able to say what I said as well on that. Yeah. Plus we've had dessert and coffee. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So all bets are off for what we might be talking about tonight. But uh, if you've been with us this far, this is episode number four. We've had three episodes before this. That's right. You mathematicians. Right. That, that is correct. Um, we want to do a little review of sort of the intro topics in each of those episodes just to review and kind of orient both myself right. and Charles, but also the listener um, of kind of the, the larger themes that we're talking about in art. So the first episode, Charles, we, you want to tackle we, that? Well, we covered the Tower of Babel, yep. uh, Genesis 11, uh, Peter Bruegel's The Tower. And we talked in that episode about a number of things, but one is um, how we read the biblical text and how art can... Um, can cause us to think about different things as we read the text. So um, art questions the text and the text interrogates the art. And so particularly with the tower, looking at how the tower uh, takes front and center stage in the painting uh, is, is very interesting because it obscures village life, which was a big theme of, of Bruegel's painting and so perhaps one of the messages that we're to get from the text is the way that building projects often obscure and enslave people. Mm. So that, that tower painting causes us to think a little bit more deeply about why this tower is so problematic, right? So um, the, the text leaves... Uh, a lot of imagination on the table and artists such as Bruegel can pick up on that and say, well, what about this? You know, we, we thought about that. Um, what is so bad about building a tower and what is so bad about humans wanting to build a tower in the sky? Well, you know, in and of themselves, it, it could be kind of a cool thing. I mean, we've been building skyscrapers for a long time now and the Titanic and the space shuttle challenger and all of these things that are, Testaments to human achievement, but in the process of doing that, uh, we have also, um, in many times, gone beyond our God-given limits. We think about major buildings, not just buildings, but ships and spaceships and and things like that. They they are testaments to human achievement, but they also go wrong in the same moment. Mm-hmm. Just as, as as magnificent as they are, are, they magnificently are tragic. Yes, yes. At the same time, that's exactly right. In that that episode, we also talked a little bit about uh, one of the ways in which you can engage in art. Um, mm-hmm. You can look at pieces of art, and and there is a difference in what the art is saying and then what the art is doing. doing. Right. And learning to put those two ideas into conversation with each other can actually uh, help you get to the heart of the matter uh, in a very fun, right. fun, e- easy, easier way. It kind of helps guide the the focal points there. 
Yeah, and just one other thing before we move on from that. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean we have to like it. <laughs> right? So the, the text can be saying something really quite awful. Yeah. And we don't have to like it just because it's in the Bible. Right. We have to recognize that the text acts upon us some ways that are not... Um, that can be quite revolting. Yeah. That's really good. Um, episode two, we discussed... Klimt's, Gustav Klimt's Tree of Life. And that one was a delight to discuss. The the whirls and twirls, kind of these, this unending fertility, uh, this boundless energy that, that Klimt captures was really a, a focal point of Charles and I's discussion in that particular episode. We talked a lot about how the, the truth that art is getting at, uh, the truth that art communicates... Uh, is is different from propositional truth in that it it almost has a life of its own, much like the tree grew from yes. this one exactly uh, this one uh, sapling. Uh, it grew and had all these various swirls and spirals that filled the entire frieze. Uh, it was the background for the the woman uh, expectation panel and the man and the woman fulfillment. It was all subsumed behind the tree or in front of the tree. Uh, so in the same way, art uh, communicates truth that, that does take a, on a life of its own, um, especially when it's uh, implanted in people. And I think that makes a lot of uh, people who view art uncomfortable because when they approach art, they want uh, to arrive at a single meaning, a single truth that they can control or at least be comfortable with. But art by nature resists that, that right. control. Um, so that's what we talked about in episode two, Charles, do you have anything to, well, and, and also in that, um, in that picture of, of the tree of life, you, you get the, the sense that life is, um, just life is hard to control. You can't control it. It's going to go where it's going to go. Mm. And very much like these podcasts, we're going to go where we're going to go. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Because that's what art does, and every conversation is different. Yes. Um, and that's the power of art, which I think is something that very important that points to the divine, is that uh, God is not controllable either. And right. God is the ultimate artist, the ultimate creator. And so when we're reading the texts, the biblical text artistically, art does help us to see ever-changing and deeper meanings because this is, after all, by the Christian confession, um, a God-inspired text, so we should expect nothing less from it. Mm. That's good. It's really good. The third episode, uh, which was the most recent one, we talked about... We, we Actually, this one was really fun. We did a kind of comparison contrast between uh, Gustav Klimt's The Kiss and Egon Schiele's Death in the Maiden. Maiden. And... Um, that one was really, really good. I'm still actually working on editing that one. Uh, Charles, you want to discuss that one? Well, the you know we, we see both in the kiss and in the death and the maiden this interesting union between male and female, and in the in the kiss, they're painted really as sort of one. It's inter, you know, they're intertwined like with each block. other in sort of in a block. Yeah. 
So you get the sense of unity much as you do in, in Genesis 2 when uh, the male and female are, are created and the two shall become one flesh kind of idea. Um, but the death in the, the maiden, which was painted in the same period uh, by Schiele, who's a protege of, of Klimt, uh, there's a much more there's a sense of detachment mm. as the maiden clings to death um, and so it's much more troubled it's much more complicated um, which is the world outside of the garden in, in Genesis 3 and so it's interesting to think about uh, one thing I don't know that we talked that much about is that the death in the maiden could very easily be the, the painting of Shelley and his mistress Mm. Um, that he could not have anymore once that he was married because his wife wouldn't let him continue the relationship. Um, but yet they still cling to one another. Right. And so if we think about how troubled love can be, um, that's also a feature of reality. Klimt is more an ideal, whereas Sheila is much more sometimes how it really is that love is right. not this union splashed with gold, mm. but it's um, a tenuous relationship that's fraught with difficulty and it doesn't last forever either. Right. It eventually dies. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. And in the kind of in that opening uh, segment, we talked a lot about, how um, we, we carried on the idea from our from episode two of of how art is hard to control um, that the, the the message of art can be hard to control the truth behind mm-hmm. it and it is it is learning to engage with that sort of those soft edges those squishy edges the mm-hmm. um, engaging with the uncontrollable is actually a, a way by which we can mature. Um, and, right. and grow as individuals, you know, as you, as you go from, it helps us handle the, the world of Chile. Uh, That's right. When, when right. we are uh, engaging in these various discussions, especially when people come in with views that aren't like ours and we have to respond in a way, um, where we see the person, we understand what they're saying and, and we engage in discussion and grow mm-hmm. from it. Which brings us uh, to our current episode, episode four. Um, our little intro segment was that review, so we're just gonna we're gonna go ahead and launch right Let's into right in. Samson and Delilah. Uh, I will do a, just a, a brief description of the piece, and then we'll start by asking what the piece is saying and what the piece is doing. doing. So Sounds good. Go for it. This piece uh, is painted by Anthony Van Dyke. It's in the Kunsthistorische Museum in Vienna. And uh, I don't know what year it was painted in, but it's like 17-something. We can can add that information later. So this piece has several figures. In fact, the the actual piece in the museum is quite large, and it fills almost a whole wall. But there's, there's several figures in sort of this rapid and frenetic, uh, what appears to be frenetic movement. Uh, in the very center, you've got Samson, and he's gazing to his left at a woman who is Delilah. And all around them are these various 
Philistine figures, these Philistine lords that have come to bind Samson. And, and particularly the, the most striking thing in this piece, and especially when you view it in Vienna, is are the various ways in which um, the, the gaze of the individuals in the painting um, capture, they, the, the gaze capture, what am I trying to say here? Well, they capture the, the, the depth of the emotion. That's right. That's right. The, 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 the looks on the individual's faces is it captures the, the depth and the energy that is in the painting, uh, particularly the gaze between Samson and Delilah. And, um, it's very difficult to understand that. I, I, like I know, speaking from personal experience, uh, viewing this piece in person was, I would not have had the experience I had if I had not seen it in person. Um, particularly Samson's eyes, the detail that goes into Samson's eyes is, is very striking. And I think we'll, we'll end up talking a lot about eyes and, and looks and various, uh, the gaze of the individuals in this painting. Which is really ironic that the gaze is so important because it's Samson's eyes that are gouged out in the end. That's right. That's so exactly right. The very thing that gives us meaning in this painting is the very thing that will soon be absent. Yes. There will be according no, according, according to, to the, the biblical text. To biblical text, yeah. yes. right. Um, do we want to read the bibl- like the portion it, well, so, yeah, we can read the the poor. I think it is important to our discussion. Yes, yeah. Uh, just that last part that the of the story that the painting is yes, about. The, yes, the snapshot. So this comes from uh, Judges sixteen verses eighteen through twenty two. Would be the scene mm. for this. Uh, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his mind. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he has told me all his mind. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep upon her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at the other times, and shake myself free. And he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze fetters. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Mm, Very good. The eyes. His eyes had been gouged out. So let's let's start with these questions, uh, the ones that we mentioned earlier. Uh, what is this what painting saying, and what is this painting doing, Charles? Well, the the painting, in terms of content, is capturing that moment, probably when Samson is realizing that he doesn't have the strength that he once had. That's right. And so he's looking at Delilah. And we'll, we'll talk about this, but the you know what is that gaze about? Is the is the horror or the forlornness or the panic or the horror on his face 
about the realization that God has left him, or is it the realization that Delilah has left him? That's right. Right? Is it both? Is it one or the other? How do we know? And then what is her look about? That's right. Is 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 her look um, about her fondness for Samson, her pity for Samson, her use of Samson, her um, what is that yeah. about as as he's uh, in that moment of being taken from her? So the, that's I would say that that's your content. That's right. But then maybe you can talk about the impact. That's right. That the, that that content then has on you as mm-hmm. the viewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one other thing I would add is uh, I mentioned earlier that there's several other individuals in, yes, in the painting. Right. And it, it is interesting that uh, if you look at the eyes of all of them, they are almost all looking at Samson. Um, and, and so Samson is very much the focal point of this. I mean, it's so you can't escape that, that he his experience is is very much what we're trying to understand here. Um and even even Delilah, this is what's interesting about Delilah to me is if you look really closely at her eyes, it's actually it's hard to tell if she's looking at Samson. It almost looks as if she's not looking at Samson, just just above him, perhaps. Um, and so that's another interesting feature that that mm. I noticed when I was re- reviewing this painting. As far as what the painting is doing. Um, I can tell you from from my experience standing in front of it in in Vienna, there was this moment when you you see you immediately see Samson and you start looking at the, your eyes travel around the edges of the painting. You see all the other figures, some interesting faces, but but what I end up gravitating towards in this painting is the detail in Samson's eyes. Uh, the artist put a glint. I don't know how he was able to do it, but the expression on Samson's face for me was magnetic and I could not escape it. Um, and, and, and so what this painting is doing to some degree is, um, it's asking me to see Samson as an individual who experiences significant pain. If you're familiar with the story of Samson, you know that he's really not that great of a character. You know, he's not, he's not really God fearing. He's not, he's just kind of doing his own thing. He's making a lot of dumb mistakes. Samson, by all estimates, is really not somebody we should look up to. Um, nor is it somebody who we would feel particularly sorry for at this point. Because you almost get to this point in the story and you say, Samson, you've got what's coming to you. You've, you've been sleeping with this woman for, I think it was three, three times mm. this happened. And so reading the story, you, you begin to feel this, this build, building of judgment. And this is the moment of judgment that we're seeing uh, poured down on Samson. But in that same moment, you actually... That, that the artist captures, you actually see the pain on his face. Great. And once you see that pain, it is really hard to 
to tell Samson or to want to say to Samson, well, you get what's coming to you. Um, yeah, because this is a moment when this man is on the threshold of losing everything. Yes, that's exactly right. And so, so what this painting does to me is that it, it asks me to see Samson in, in all of his humanity rather than just this, this uh, portion of the story that I've been exposed to growing up that kind mm-hmm. of says Samson is just, he's, he's getting what's coming to him. Um, yeah, which is, yeah. which is really interesting when we, when we think about the setup for Samson in the story, yes. which is, as you, you said, that piece of content is he's going to get what's coming to him. Yes. That he's pretty much done whatever he wanted. You know, his strength has sometimes worked for him, sometimes not. Um, but here he is on the, on the verge of, um, it's kind of a judgment day mm-hmm. kind of for him. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but in that same moment of judgment, it be the painting evokes mercy yes in us and so it really is asking us the question at the at the end when we're at this samson moment when to use the biblical language the day of the lord comes mm. and it's it's judgment time what do we want do we want mercy or do we want judgment mm-hmm. Right. And so in a moment, in this moment that the painting is, is portraying this choice that, that each of us has to decide, do we, do we want judgment? I mean, do we, do we want what the content is leading us to think, Mm. which is, yep, Samson gets what's coming to him. Or do we have compassion? And the, mm. the, the painting actually calls us to the compassionate response. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, I don't know. Do you want to? Do you want to talk a little bit about Delilah' response, her, her view, or her gaze? Or um... yeah, I th- I think it's her gaze is is just as is a bit more ambiguous. That's right. Um. Because when I stand in front of this painting, uh, I'm certainly captured by Samson's. It's it's the most arresting. But, you know, it's hard to tell whether she is... Uh, of course, she got money out of this, <laughs> right? I mean, she did yeah. a job and she's getting paid for it. Yeah. But, you know, I think it calls us to think of something a little bit deeper than just the transaction. Right. You know, does she feel something for, for Samson? I mean, is she as cold-blooded and cold-hearted as we might be led to think? In other words, is she as cold-hearted as we might expect the judgment to be towards Samson? That's right. Or is she also saying something to us about compassion? Is there, is there something in the moment when Samson is taken away that she realizes that he's a person and that she's played mm. a role in his mm. demise? Is there, um, is she feeling, what's she feeling? Right. You know, I think it's worth thinking about that. Yeah, that's really good. I, I like how, 
I, I know for me, it, it, when, when I think of, you know, someone getting what, what's coming for them, or when you think of judgment day, that you're absolutely right. There is a sense in which I'm expecting almost a full satisfaction to come from judgment being leveled on someone. Right. And almost this sort of relief of, of this person finally getting what's coming to them. But, but there's a human factor that can't be ignored. Um, and so even when you see this kind of goofball, silly character, that's really just not that great. Get all this judgment leveled on him. The human factor creates the response for mercy, um, or it asks for mercy. And, and so it just makes, I guess I'm reiterating what you're saying in that can, can there ever be judgment without that sort of gut response for mercy? Can, can this painting seems to indicate that you can't have judgment without a sense of mercy accompanying it. Yes. And then, and so where does that come from? That's right. Where does that come from? Right. Is that the divine response? Right. You know, we, we, we always think of these old Testament stories as being rather cold and bloody and ruthless and God is a vengeful God and all of this. Um, But yet that's not the end of the story at all yes. right i mean god is the one who in the in the in the christian accounting you know re- ultimately responds with jesus and the cross and with mercy and with salvation and redemption right where i mean if 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 judgment is all if just judgment was to be the final solution mm. then there would be no story past the flood mm. You know, God creates human beings. Human beings mess up in a rather global and monstrous way. And God decides to end it all. He has the right to do that. He's the creator. This was a failed experiment. End of story. I mean, it lasts six chapters and we're done. If if judgment That's right. were That's the right. end. Yes. So there's got to be more than that. And yeah. so the the outworking of the rest of that story, that drama... And I would go so far to say as, you know, God as artist is in process with humanity as humanity works that out and as God works that out. You know, I, I think art, the, not art, the idea of God as creator. Right. Um, doesn't mean that God has ever finished creating. Mm. Right. And and any artist doesn't just paint one picture and then you're done. Right. You know, I've known artists that will take one theme and paint a hundred versions of it. Right. You know, or um, most um, artists will will do iterations of things, perhaps not the same thing, but at least thematically Mm -hmm. trying to work out an idea. Yeah. So I think that's a lot of what you have if we think of, of God who is first defined in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, mm. right? That everything has to be understood through the creative yeah. lens. Really and so the fact that 
that even in this painting, even in the story in Judges 16, God is not done with Samson. There's still That's more right. to this story. Even after the eyes are gouged. Even the, right. Yeah. Samson still accomplishes the purpose yeah. that he, you know, to, to defeat the Philistines. I mean, right. it's, yeah, that's really good. Um, I, I want to talk real briefly, or at least before we end, about this particular painting's impact on me. Oh, is, yes. there, is there anything else? You, you know, I think I want, I want to move more to the, you know, to what this painting has done with you. I mean, yes. that's, yeah. that's really the kind of lasting value that's is right. the impact. That's right the change that it's had on you. So let's talk about that. Right. So, so as I was standing to, to return myself to that experience, as I was standing before this painting, um, and, and some small way, what we've just discussed all kind of passed through my mind and, and maybe a more rough, mm-hmm. rougher fashion, but that, that the, the, the springing of mercy within me for Samson was something I hadn't expected. Um, it, it was something I, I honestly wasn't prepared for. I was, I was coming to this painting and, you know, you see Samson and you go, okay, here we go. He's going to get his judgment. And, and I could not escape his eyes. In fact, I, I actually, I cried. I, I shed some tears Mm -hmm. as I was looking at this painting because of the intensity with which Samson is, is experiencing whatever it is he's experiencing. And, and then something happened. I I actually saw a little bit of myself in Samson. And I think to some degree, Everyone who's being honest with themselves can see a little bit of who they are in Samson. That is to say, a person who continually makes the same mistakes over and over and over again. He's returned to this girl, this lady, three nights. And three nights she's tried to trap him. And yet he keeps coming back to her. And I know I've made, I've traveled the path of Samson in my own life. Mm Mm-hmm. But I, up until seeing this painting, only had judgment for myself in those travels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I would only judge my myself for the mistakes I made, um, for the repeated mistakes I've made with people, individuals, um, however you want to phrase that. I, I continued to judge myself. And when I saw Samson in this painting and I had mercy or I had empathy there was a sense of grace that I wanted to extend Samson actually discovered that I could do that for myself, that, that I could in the same way that I am looking at Samson and seeing his pain and saying, well, you know, Samson, that's okay. We've all been there. I realized I could do that to myself and that I should do that for myself to extend grace and mercy to myself for the repeated mistakes I've made. And that was something I was definitely not expecting to encounter with this painting. I mean, it, that is something that's truly, it's really been life changing. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to overestimate it, but that's, that's, that's certainly what I've experienced viewing this painting. Um, the way that it, it pulled that out of me, it pulled that truth out of me mm-hmm. was something I will never forget. Mm-hmm. You know, having compassion for yourself. Yes. Learning to forgive yourself in the midst of right. a very big mistake. That's right. Yeah. And, 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 and it's almost like I, I'm having compassion on this fictional or this, this fictional representation of a character. 
if I can do that for him, can't, why can't I do that for myself? I, sh- I should be able to do that for myself. And I will do that for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me, that was the big takeaway from this painting. And I, I stood in front of that painting for a long time. <laughs> right. It was so good. Um, it was so good. Well, and the other thing that this, this painting does is that it puts, it puts physical strength in perspective because I mean, let's face it. We, we live in a, in an environment, at least today that has a lot of toxic masculinity in it. And it has a lot of toxic ideas about what it means to be male and what it means to be strong and invincible and bigger than the next guy and stronger than the next person and being able to, you know, woo the woman and enjoy your conquests and, <laughs> you know, bigger and better and stronger and all of that. Yeah. And of course this story undoes all of that. Right. You know, and showing that, um, very much like in conversation with the tower, right. Mm. Right. The tower is big and tall and strong and, you know, in some ways phallic. And so you, this story of of Samson has a lot of the same elements to it because it's, it's the, it's the confidence in physical strength and ability that is, that is undone by, Mm. by God. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Right. And the, the strength that, that leaves them. And of course, here it's in the arms of, you know, of a, of a woman that he falsely trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, the story is, is pointing us to the way in which biblical stories, I think, subvert cultural expectations and norms. Right. That, that God is bigger than all of that. Yes. Yeah, we can definitely. <laughs> We've spent a lot of time. Spent a lot of time talking about cultural that. norms in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they're not all that. I mean, they're on the level of their ability to withstand tests and trials, right? Cultural norms are can be pretty are generally pretty fragile. Mm. They're given strength only by virtue of the fact that we tend to put a lot of faith in them because we can see them once again. Right. The gaze. Right. Becomes important. Yes. But once that's taken away, then what are you left with? That's right. Yeah. So good, man. I think I've, I think I've said all I need to say. Yep. This has been so good discussing this particular painting. I believe, I don't know what we've got slated for next time. I think it's a Caravaggio I, I, or, or something along those lines. Yeah, it's. I know we've got the the Caravaggio head of Goliath. Yeah, and we also have the the Joseph. Oh, the Nolde. The Nolde Joseph, yeah. which I yeah, cannot get wait cultural, to discuss. Cultural norms there <laughs> about the way he sees Joseph. Yes, is so good. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us on the Believing Art Podcast. Uh, we will catch you next time. Catch you next time. Okay. All right.